So last week as we were having a conversation around what it means to be experiencing God, one of the things I brought up was that there was, there was three main points I had that God was always at work. So God is always at work in this world. Even when we may think God is not at work, God is still working. Also that God is pursuing us in a relationship, that he has this love relationship for us, so he pursues us. He tries to basically woo us over to him, to know him. And also that God is inviting us into participating in what he's doing in this world. And so he's inviting us to reflect on and know how he's working, and we're going to talk more about that in weeks to come, of course. But then we have to kind of go, okay, well, what do we do about that? And the reality is, is that when we're exploring these things, we have to kind of be aware of who God is, what he feels towards us, what he thinks towards us, as well as what we think towards him. And same as last week, at the end of the service, if you have questions, maybe you have some questions about stuff we talked about last week and you've had a week to think about it more, you're welcome to ask them. Or if there's anything I say this morning that you have some questions around, please feel free to bring them up. We'd love to to continue it as a conversation, not just a me talking to you kind of event. So please feel free, if you're thinking of anything, to bring it up. But I'm going to start us off with a question, and the question is this. What do you do if what God is inviting you to do does not make sense? What do you do if what God is inviting you to do does not make sense to you? So if God is always at work, and God is pursuing us and wants that relationship with us, and then God is inviting us to participate in what he's doing, what if what he's doing just doesn't make sense to you? What if you have a a plan laid out as to what your life is to be, and what God is inviting you to participate in is something very different? What do you do with that? That's what I want to explore this morning, because I think there's probably been moments in our lives where that's happened. Maybe it's on a smaller scale, but maybe it's on a big scale, too. Maybe it's in our career. Maybe we've wondered, hey, where should I work? This is what I go to school for. Maybe this will be what I do. But then God seems to be inviting you into something else. Or maybe it's in a relationship where you're thinking, hey, this relationship is who I want to marry. This is all going the way I want it to. But then you come to realize, maybe God's inviting me into something else. Maybe God's inviting me to be single, which might be an alarming thing for some of us. What do you do when it just doesn't make sense to you? What we call this is a crisis of belief. It is a crisis of belief. And crisis isn't necessarily what we think of in crisis, like there's a huge accident or something like that, but it's an opportunity to choose is where crisis comes from. There is kind of like a fork in the road idea that you have maybe thought your whole life is going to go to the right, and then all of a sudden there's an invitation to go left. It's a crisis of belief. It's an opportunity for us to make a decision that is going to reflect what we believe about God. Because every decision we make is a reflection of what we believe about God. Now, maybe there's never been a moment in your life where you've had this kind of an issue, where you're like, you know what, I'm just doing this, this is what God invited me to, it's all clear, it's all perfect. But there's a chance you're in the minority if that's true. Most of us, if we are authentically pursuing God, the fact that we've started to get to know him is a crisis of belief. We've switched from what we thought we were to who he tells us we are. And that's a hard transition. So we all go through this at some point. 
So if we can take some time this morning, we're going to look at what this means. We're going to look at a few different characters in Scripture who've gone through this, and we're going to kind of explore, well, what do we do about it when we face these moments in our lives? Because you will, if you haven't yet, face these moments in your lives. But before we get to that, let's take a moment to pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who is always at work, that you have not uh, abandoned us, that you've not just disregarded us, but that you are actively pursuing us and desire for us to be in a relationship with you. And in that pursuit, you invite us into something better than we could ever imagine, and it's what you're doing in this world. I pray this morning, God, that we just open our hearts and our minds to what it is you might be speaking to us through the words of Scripture, through how you have walked with people long ago, and how you're walking with us. And that as we explore this, as we maybe dive deeper into an idea that we haven't thought of ourselves for a while, that we can just, as the song said, turn our eyes to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we can focus on you and earnestly pursue what it is you desire for us. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. So when we're walking with God, the reality is that you will face this crisis of faith and what you or belief, and what you do is going to demonstrate to others what you believe about who God is and your relationship with him. Because if you choose to ignore God, then that says something about what you think about God. If you choose to walk with God and do what he says, even though it doesn't seem like it's going along the path that you want to, that's also saying something about what you believe in God. And this is an encounter that many people throughout Scripture deal with over and over and over again. So we have these ancient stories that God's inspired someone to write long ago so that we can learn from them and hear and know what he invites us into. And so the first one we're going to look at is very early on in Scripture. It's the story of Abram. Now, Abram, some of you are more familiar with Scripture than others, so I'll try to give some recap, and maybe I won't fill everything in there, but I invite you to read it. In Genesis 12, we're going to look at that passage right away. In Genesis 12, we are introduced to this character, Abram, who is incredibly important to the Bible. He is chosen by God to do something great. And if you read his story, if you read through Genesis, you'll see that even though he's chosen by God, he doesn't always do what God asked him to do. In fact, more often than not, he tries to do things his own way, and that leads to big mistakes and pain and suffering. But it is initiated by God that something is going to happen. So in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4, it says this. It's amazing because this is like the first introduction we really get to him. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So Abram, we know nothing about the first 75 years of this guy's life. God just talks to him. 
It says, Abram, I choose you. You're going to leave everything you know, and you are going to start my people. Leave your job, leave your family, leave your house, leave your land, leave everything, and guess what? You're going to be a great nation. So what does he do? He's faced with this crisis of belief. He can go, okay, well, God, that sounds a little silly. For 75 years I've been in this one place and I like it. Or you go, okay, I follow. All the text says is he got up, he left. That's it. So in his first instance, he responds to this reality, this crisis of probably at 75, he's thinking long-term retirement goals, you know, is my RSP going to be enough, all those kind of things. He's not thinking like, hey, i got to start this new adventure, and I'm going to be the father of a great nation. But God invites him to something that is not how, if you look at it on paper, probably he was thinking. He's invited into something great that God is going to do. It's not that Abram's going to make himself a great nation and he's going to be a blessing to all people, but God is going to use Abram for this. And so he's faced with this crisis of belief. Do I trust that God is going to do this? Or do I just stay home? And all the text tells us is he went. Now, if you read the story of Abram as it continues, there are going to be moments where he's faced with this reality again, and he doesn't always choose the best thing. He tries to do things his own way. And there's a lot we can learn from that story in our own lives. Because we can say yes to God, saying, yeah, I agree, this is, you know what, I will adjust my life to whatever you're inviting me to and then deviate from that. And so there's a lot we can learn in that. Now, there's a second story I want to look at as well, and this is, again, another critical person in the story of Scripture, and that's Moses. Those of us who are familiar with the story of Moses, we know that he was uh, you know, put in a little basket, sent down the river, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, he's raised in Pharaoh's household, raised up as a young man, and then he witnesses Hebrews being punished or, or beaten, and he kills some people. And then he ends up running away to the desert, kind of starts a new life. But then God has this encounter with Moses, with this burning bush that doesn't burn. And God speaks to him, and he's going to invite him into something. And so in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to jump into the story at verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here's his crisis. Some of us, again, we're more familiar with the story, so it's, it's familiar, we know it. Maybe for some of us it's newer. Here's his crisis. He just, some years ago, left the Pharaoh's household. He ran away. He knows they know what he did. He doesn't want to go back. 
He's, he's got this shepherd life going on. It's nice. You know, he, he does his thing. And he encounters God. And God says, go back to where you came from. For some of us, that's probably one of the scariest invitations we might ever get. Go back to your family home. Go back to your family. Go back to the country you moved from and you fled because it was scary. It is a hard invitation that Moses has given. And this is a crisis. What do you do? You, first, you've just encountered this shrubbery that doesn't burn. How do you respond to it? So Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? How does Moses respond? Maybe choose somebody else. He tries to avoid the invitation. He tries to say, hey, there are other people who are better. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've been in a moment where somebody invites you to do something, and you think, I'm just not good enough to do that. You should ask somebody else. But you were invited to do it. Maybe it was a project at work where you think, this is, this is too hard for me. I don't know how to do this. Maybe you were invited to speak somewhere, and you're like, I've never spoken in front of people. I don't want to do this. Maybe you're invited to help in a, a situation of real crisis, and you're like, I don't know how. Maybe choose somebody who has more experience, who's gone to school for this. That's what Moses is doing. He's faced with this crisis. He's faced with this option. Do I go right? Do I go left? How about, God, you choose somebody else? But this is the important thing that God says. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of, out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses is saying, I've got all the excuses, and if you keep reading the story, there's going to be more excuses that come over and over again in his story. Again, he sometimes does what God wants and sometimes doesn't. It causes a lot of friction. But over and over again, he's trying to get out of it. There's got to be somebody better than me. There are people with more talent, more education, more experience. There's people who are better looking. And God says, you know what? I'm with you. That's all you need to know. Sometimes when we're invited into these moments of how do we decide, God seems to be inviting me somewhere, we need to remember that it's God's invitation and God is with us in it. I firmly believe God won't invite you into something that he is not going with you in. So if God is inviting you into something, it's because, well, first, God's already working there, and God is going to be with you in it. And the message is over and over again, you don't need to be afraid, because he's there. We're going to look at a third person. And this one we're going to just briefly overview quick because we're going to talk more in depth in June about this guy. And, and we're going to look at like what not to do in this scenario. And this is one of the prophets of the Old Testament, Jonah. Some of us are familiar with Jonah. There's lots of great cartoons about Jonah. You know, he's swallowed by a fish. It's wonderful. But this is how Jonah starts. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So again, a prophet is someone who God speaks to and God speaks through. So go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So this is the crisis. Go and preach. This is what prophets do. 
prophets go and preach. They share what God is saying to them, and they share it to the people that God tells them to share it with. Simple. God says, go do your job. These are the people I want you to talk to. You want this title prophet, this is what you do. So how does Jonah respond? He's got this crisis moment. Go and preach to Nineveh. Nineveh, the Assyrians, not looked upon fondly by the Hebrews. In fact, they are oppressors, they are mean, they are evil. We can get into all that, and we'll get into that in probably about a month's time. So he's thinking, okay, we're going to the bad guys. So what does he do? Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's his crisis. God says, go to the people you don't like. And Jonah says, no. I'm going to go on a boat. I'm going to run from you. So you got Abram who just goes. That's the first instinct. He's a, he just goes. He leaves his family, leaves everything behind, takes his nephew, and goes. You got Moses who's going, I don't know, God. There's probably somebody better. And God says, hey, I'm with you. And then you got Jonah who says, I don't even want to hear you reply to me. I'm running away. He's faced with this crisis of belief. Hey, is God going to work the way I want him to, which is you should smite those Ninevites, not love them, not give them a chance? And if he's not, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to run away from God. These three different Old Testament characters, these people through history, have had these moments where God encounters them and they have to choose how they respond to what he says. Some respond better than others. If you know the story of Jonah, as it unfolds, there's a lot that goes on, and God keeps pursuing Jonah, even though he seems to be running away. This is the reality of what seems to happen for all of us, is we have this kind of pattern where God is encountering us, God is pursuing us, God is speaking to us, and we have the choice to respond. And we can say, God, are you, respond, are you telling me what I want to hear? Or are you telling me what you're inviting me to? Sometimes we try to make God to be in more into our image, so we want God to say the things that we want to do or do the things we want done. But that's not God. God is beyond us, beyond our own desires. And so what he invites us to is what is better than what we could imagine. And we have to choose how we respond to it. So when God invites you to join him, you will face a crisis of belief. There's no way around it. You have to decide, do I pursue what God is inviting me to, or do I go my own way with what I want? And what you choose to do is going to be a demonstration of do you trust God or do you not? Do you trust that God loves you, has your best in mind, or do you trust yourself? You know better. You know better than God. That's one of the first mistakes people made. Actually, it is the first mistake people made. Who do you trust? Your instinct, your intellect, your experience, or the creator of the universe? That's what a crisis of belief is. You're forced to choose. And what you choose demonstrates what you believe. 
And the thing is, God is seldom, seldom going to just say, hey, do what you want. Do things your way. Because reality is our hearts tend to turn ourselves away from God naturally. And so if he's pursuing us and wants us to turn our hearts to him, he's going to invite us into something in his direction, not necessarily our direction. And God is always, whatever he's inviting us into, there. He's always in the space that he invites us into. And he's always going to help us to make it happen. That's the story of Moses. As he continues his journey with God, when he is faithful and remains close to God, you see the mighty works God does. When he tries to do things on his own, that's when things go downhill. Same thing with Abram. And there's one more story I want to get into, and that's found in Matthew's Gospel, the New Testament. And it's a story of Jesus and Peter, and it's one, again, some of us who've been to church for a while we might be familiar with, some of us it might be newer to us. Uh, but amazing things have happened in the Gospel at this point, uh, as well as sad and tragic events. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. He goes to try to go off, to try and be on his own. People follow him. He feeds them. We have next to nothing, and he feeds 5,000 people. And then after they're all fed, everything's done for the night, he tells the disciples to kind of go off, and this is a story that we're going to encounter. So in Matthew 14, starting at verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples go into the boat and go on ahead of him onto the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come onto the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This story is, you know, it's it's a famous story. You've got paintings, you've got pictures, you've got all kinds of stuff. And this story, as it unfolds, has Peter in his zealousness, in his desire to be with Jesus, say, Hey, invite me out. Ask me to come. There's an invitation. And in that invitation, he has to respond. And Jesus says, okay, come. So he has to respond. So he gets out of the boat. Something that doesn't make sense. Makes sense to stay in the boat when you're in water. I've learned that through life. But he says, get out. Come. And he walks. He walks on the water. And then he encounters doubt and fear, right? The wind, everything's going on. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. And he sinks. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he sinks. Jesus invited him into something, said, come along. And if he was focused on Jesus, he would have done just fine. But he took his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. And what does he do? He reaches out for help, says, Jesus, save me. And what does Jesus do? He saves him. 
and they probably walk back on water and get back in the boat. That's the amazing thing about these crises of belief is that Jesus is already there with you. No matter what you're going through, whatever this encounter is, where you're struggling to make a decision to go, okay, is this God's way or is this my way? What am I being invited into? He's there where you're going to go, and he's there with you while you make that decision. And when you need to reach out and say, Lord, save me, he's still there. You will face a crisis of belief. It's not a if, it's a when. You will have moments where you have to choose. Do I choose God or do I choose friends? Do I choose family? Do I choose work? Do I choose stability? Do I choose my education? Do I choose where I live? Do I choose whatever? It could be anything. There will be moments where God's going to invite you into something, and you're going to have to ask yourself, is this what I want, or is this God's invitation? And when you hit that crisis, you have the choice to demonstrate what you really believe about God. Do you trust he has your best in mind? Or would you rather just keep doing what you want to do? How you respond demonstrates to the world who God is. Or at least who God is to you. And so people might not have their own crisis of faith. Maybe they aren't people of faith. Maybe they aren't people who know who God is. So they can easily ignore any promptings that God has in their life. But how you respond is telling God's story to other people. How do you respond makes a difference. So what is your crisis of belief? What is it that God might be inviting you into that you can't do on your own? Maybe it's to reconcile with family. Maybe it is a complete job change, which means less money, but you'll be a lot happier and your family will be better. Maybe it's a switch in your school program. Maybe it's to move to a different city, country. Who knows? What is your crisis? Where you have to ask yourself, is this what I think is best? Or is this what God's invited me into? And do I trust him in it? If you don't have one now, you definitely will. So it's good to be prepared. I'm going to pray, and then if you have some questions, we can ask some questions. God, I thank you that you are the God who is with us. Uh, You are with us when we maybe are unsure of what to do. You are with us when we are certain of what to do. You are with us when we make poor choices. You are with us when we make wise choices. And no matter what choice we make, you are with us. And because you are with us, when we recognize that maybe we've gone down the wrong path, you're continuously inviting us into the right one, and you're there to help us get there. I pray for us this morning that maybe wherever we find ourselves in our journey with you, trying to figure out what we believe, what stage of our belief we're in, what you're inviting us into, that our hearts and our minds are turned towards you, that, Holy Spirit, we allow you to speak to us, and when we face these crises, we listen to you more than we listen to ourselves. And let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, any questions?
Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes we're, we're faced with, hey, God is inviting me into something, or it seems like God is inviting me into something. So is it me or is it God speaking? And it might be good, but is it the best thing, right? Is that kind of what you're asking about? Great. Um, first thing is that if we need each other, I think, we need, we need to have our relationship with Jesus, and we need to be speaking to Jesus, and we need to be listening to Jesus. As the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we need to be attentive to what he's saying. And so an idea might pop in our mind, but I think it's also important that we trust that God is speaking to other people around us too. And so having uh, wise counsel is what Scripture talks about over and over again, of trusting your community. Uh, people who, now you can't trust everybody, but trust people you know to be people who are attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading and ask them to pray about it and kind of seek it. Um, you know, in some, in some scenarios, I would say, like, there's, there's never a wrong choice. Sometimes if God's just inviting you to do something, you just do it. Uh, sometimes it's a lot more difficult to discern because it might seem like, is this me or is this not me? And, and knowing you, Sarah, I know some of the uh, tension that you feel sometimes around that. So I think wise counsel is important. Um, but again, I think it's when we, when we stay intimate with Jesus, when we make that a priority and the focus, things get a lot clearer, right? So it's kind of like when you're, at least when I'm driving, sometimes when I'm driving I get really distracted by things on the sides, and uh, if I go look there, I'm not looking at what's right in front of me, right? So where you look is where your car goes to, which is also a problem. I think it's the same way in discernment, is where you're looking is where you're, where you're going to go. So if you're looking at that thing, you're going to go there, but if you're looking to Jesus, you're going to go to the right spot. Does that make sense? We're going to talk more and more about this in the next three weeks. Next week, we have uh, the wonderful David Genty sharing about adjusting our life when God has that calling, and then we're going to talk more about um, the week after that around how God speaks to us and how we pay attention to that, so that might be more helpful then. Uh, so hopefully that answers a bit, and hopefully I can go deeper in that in time. Yeah, Sylvia. Yeah, so how do you tell the difference between your instinct and intuition or God's will? And I think that's a question that we all should have, uh, because sometimes they're not the same, and sometimes they are. And I think, though, it still maintains that, that same principle of that intimacy with Jesus, that intimacy of relationship, is that your will, your instinct, is shifted more to his. And so as you develop that intimacy, your natural desires, for lack of better words, will be more inclined to the things of God, right? So when Paul speaks about uh, focus on the things of heaven, things unseen and not things seen, that translates to when we put our focus onto Jesus, he helps reveal things. And so it might be the natural instinct that comes up in us, but I think still... It's a matter of discerning those things. And so you discern it through prayer. You discern it through scripture. Uh, you discern it through other people. Those are, like, to me, those are the top three. There are other ways we could probably do it too. So if you have an inclination, you go, okay, well, I'll, I'll pray about it. And then you go, okay, does this 
Maybe I'm not getting a clear response from God. Maybe I'm getting more of the same thing. What would Scripture say about this? Granted, Scripture's not going to say everything about a given topic, but there might be something that relates to what you're wondering. And you go, okay, when I look at Scripture, it's saying God doesn't act this way, and he's inviting me to act this way, so that doesn't make sense, right? So then it's a clear no, don't go that way. But you might be looking at Scripture going, okay, this is what God says, but I'm not comfortable with this. What do I do with it? I think that's where wise counsel comes in again, where you can talk with other people and discern together and pray together, uh, because I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us, but it speaks to us in community most of all. Uh, just as God is in community, we are meant to be in community. Um, so yeah, so when we're when our posture is towards God, and that's the priority, I think it helps in that discernment process most of all. We definitely need other people and making sure we're going into Scripture and, and, and attentive to those little details. That won't solve all of it because sometimes, you know, we have temptation. Uh, we have other things that get in the way. Again, like when our eyes start focusing on other things and not Jesus, um, sometimes our natural inclination goes somewhere else. So we should be self-assessing as well. Am I focusing on Jesus? Or am I focusing on myself? Or am I focusing on something else that might not be horrible, but it's not Jesus, right? Does that make sense? Okay, good. I hope that helps. Anybody else want to ask anything to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it only seemed to happen once. Like, it's really disappointing. It would be way easier if God's invitation was just a burning bush every time and obvious, right? And I think that's, that's the tricky part. And I think this goes to, like, Sylvia's question, right, of, like, that, that natural inclination. Like, where did I just hear? Like, what is this happening, right? I believe God's invitation is pretty broad. And I think what I know about God is that the God who pursues us and loves us will speak to us in a way that we can hear. So maybe Moses needed that burning bush, and maybe I need that burning bush sometimes, but maybe you need something else. You know, when, when Elijah, when we read in uh, 1 Kings 17, I think, when Elijah, he runs away um, because the prophets of Baal are pursuing him, Jezebel's pursuing him, and uh, he goes and he goes into a cave and he's waiting for God to speak and there's like this lightning storm and there's a tornado, all these things. And then it says uh, he heard God and in our translation would be a still small whisper or something like that, but it's in silence. In silence, he hears God. So Elijah needed that. I guess it's part of it's figuring out is what do you, what do you need God? How do you need to hear from God? Don't everybody say I need a burning bush because that's really unfair. But how do you need to hear from God and actually communicating with God in prayer going, God, this is my scenario. I need to hear something from you. This is how I think I need to hear from you. Can you help me out in this? Most of all, though, Again, I keep coming back to this, is I really think God speaks through other people more than anything. So if you have other people saying things to you, sometimes he's not speaking through other people, sometimes just other people speaking for sure. But sometimes when God, like you hear it multiple times coming, like an idea where you're like, where did that come from? And then you hear it again and you hear it again. That's God speaking through other people. They might not even know it, but he's trying to get your attention. And so I believe... One of the primary ways still today God speaks is through other people, which is why church is so important.
is that you have a community of people who are seeking God's Spirit together, trying to listen to God and hear what he's saying and inviting us into. I hope that's a helpful answer. Um, I, I pray for a burning bush for you because that will be so clear. It would be wonderful. It's something I pray for myself often. <laughs> Anybody else have anything they'd like to ask? No? That's great. Well, we're going to continue next week um, uh, around how do we adjust our lives because of maybe these crises of belief and, and some inspiration and insight through our brother